Hey, thanks for joining us on Two Age Sojourner. And uh, we're going to be hitting a little bit of Lee Eins's awesome article, uh, Redefining Merit. So stay with us. Chris, how's it going? It's going well, Mike. How are you? Yeah, doing good. Very well, thank you. Uh, I see you're all dressed up and looking nice and cold there. That's that's awesome <laughs> to see. I, I don't know how to translate it into Celsius, but it was 37 degrees when we went to church this morning. Um, that's pretty pretty cold. That's cold. Wow, crazy. Um, man, you look like you're about to go snowboarding or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, so Chris, I wanted to firstly say, before I forget, guess what happened? Something amazing happened. What happened? Um, I know what Mark Kahlberg looks like now. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> did you see that Facebook guy? That I did. Yeah, right. Um, so do you know this guy? Um, the legendary... John Anthony? John Anthony. Oh. You don't know yeah, him? Yeah, he, uh, he, he does the artwork. And um, when he's not um, studying at Westminster Seminary, California, he uh, does our social media for the podcast oh no ways cool yeah. all right okay so he's right into it yeah well thank you anthony i mean that's amazing <laughs> dude jedi um so he looks like a nice guy after all you know yes oh what a nice looking dude <laughs> i mean what a waste not to have his image out there you know we need to get it up so he's the ministry of um uh sort of director of worship guy or a pastor of worship whatever that means there so that's cool. Now, another guy, another undercover Kleinian dude um, that uh, I got in contact with this week was uh, this guy. I'm holding the book up in front of you. Uh, have you seen oh, this yeah. one? Yeah. Yeah. This Jiang Ku Jian, right? Yes. I totally hope I'm pronouncing that in something close <laughs> to what it's supposed to sound like. Um, but yeah, just just asked him if uh, he could help me out with some stuff. And, uh, and uh, what a nice guy just got back to me immediately yeah. you know totally so you've obviously spoken to him he interacts with us quite a bit on the meredith klein facebook page okay cool and just seems like a really nice guy He's totally nice guy so he studied at westminster philadelphia the whole way through sc oh yeah okay. just all his degrees from there and uh interesting so he obviously somehow got connected to the client and just uh, fell in love, you know, yeah. because uh, <laughs> those books are coming out fast and furiously. Wow. Um, and yeah. then what we mentioned last week is uh, just, or the week before I can remember that, um, that article, when we were talking about Kahlberg's article, uh, we mentioned Lee Eins's one uh, that he wrote on, on merit. And, um, and I thought, let's just quickly have a general, super general discussion about that article, because it is, it is in your wheelhouse in terms of that was like the fundamental argument of your book, um, just in terms of the, the, the issue of merit and the covenant of works and uh, justice and justification. I mean, showing that they're all linked. Um, so there, there's just some interesting questions. Uh, I had a quick reread. Uh, I realize I'm just throwing this on you, Chris, uh, you know, just didn't prep you for this at all. So just anyone listening, <laughs> just keep that in mind. But just thought we could, you know, hack out a few, a few questions. Um, one of the things that uh, comes to mind, um, just uh, in rereading the article, is that you have, um, 
like firstly just this this fact that often I don't know why it gets clouded in my mind, but it shouldn't, and that is that the covenant or the Westminster Confession does in fact talk about a covenant of works very clearly, and it doesn't say that there's any grace in there or anything. So as much as you know, there's a debate about the Westminster tradition and you know what needs to happen. It is that's a thing, right? There it is. Yes. And um, so I suppose that gets me onto thinking a little bit about what we were talking about last time with Kahlberg, in that I suppose one of his big themes is just that he wants to say, well, any deviation from that is a deviation from the Westminster Covenant theology tradition, you know? And um, I know you're not as confident, historically speaking, but I mean, what do you think about that? That, you know, there it is in the confession it's um, the antithesis is there, even at that covenantal level between works and grace, confessionally stated. Um, so, isn't it? I mean, isn't it true then that the the people that are really moving away from that are the ones, you know, moving away from from those standards? That is true. Um, it's it's there, and you can't avoid that. Mm. Um, but I I would just point out that. Westminster Confession was written as a consensus document. It was written intentionally to encompass and embrace a wide variety of views. Mm. And I, I'm embarrassed that I can't remember the name of the book, but I remember as I was doing my research, uh, coming across um, the story of someone who distributed a book widely among the the Westminster divines that really was arguing for only a covenant of grace. Right. So, yeah. Um, that was really being promoted. Um, yeah. I mean, we have the document we have, mm-hmm. but right. You just need to understand that they the context that they really wanted to allow for people who only believed in a covenant of grace too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, um, I suppose, I mean, what we're feeling the whole way through is that, practically speaking, you have just this undeniable drift from that and, and, and you know, a, a conniving of that language to make it end up with something, you know, gracious. And, and so whether we have that language or not, I mean, it is just pretty cool that we have that language set in stone, yes. though, in the confession. Yes. And that's something. I suppose that's the point I'm wanting to just highlight here in that I keep forgetting that, you know, in like you wouldn't, you almost wouldn't remember that in light of the mass amounts of Puritan literature that just sort of immediately went away from, from that idea. And, mm-hmm. um, and even today, you know, you just, you just almost wouldn't think it was that clear in the confession itself. But in that sense, it's a it's a point decidedly in favor of, of of Klein's covenant theology. Yes. But then on that same on that same point, I suppose what what Lee does there in that article, which is um, you know just mind blowingly deep, and you know he just really goes all the way with this idea. As he says, like in the same sentence, almost you have this whole uh, voluntary condescension of God to make a covenant idea, which you know it was a real eye opener to me because. Um, and I'm, to be honest, I'm still processing in terms of whether I even agree, you know, with fully w- 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 what Lee is, is saying there. I mean, I know I agree at some level, definitely. But anyways, what he was saying was that um, you've got this idea of voluntary condescension as a kind of hangover from the medieval scholastics, um, which are really working in the wrong paradigm entirely. Uh, in, in their arguments about 
uh, whether something can be meritorious or not. And so you end up with condign merit and congruent merit and all those, you know, coming out all of those, um, those ideas. And um, I suppose my, my initial, um, I don't know where I got this from, but at some level, I just, I suppose, uh, have always held, well, condign, congruent, none of those really work, uh, really what we are looking at more is a, a pactum, uh, you know, a, a covenant uh, merit idea, which is not really represented by that, that, that sort of concept. But what Lee, what Lee does, which uh, I find mind blowing is that he shows even that concept is really where we get the covenant of works from, uh, which uh, blows, blows my pre-existing sort of like <laughs> solutions out of the water in that, uh, you know, you can't just say, well, uh, no, I believe in a covenant merit because, um, you know, that's what they believe to some extent as well. Uh, the question right. then becomes, is the covenant superstructure, imposed upon creation or is it part of creation itself uh you know and and this is again just going back to Kahlberg's um thing uh just one of his big themes you know he's just constantly yes. constantly going on about that like we've compromised we've gone back to the medieval thing so um that's interesting right um and and I'm just thinking in terms of that, that's kind of, that's what you were going for in your book, just in hindsight now as well, very much. Yes. That was one of your points that you made there and, and you were wanting to say, and I remember we went through a list of about 10 points or something, just saying, this is why creation needs to be understood in a covenantal way or something. Mm -hmm. So we won't cover that ground again. Um, hopefully we, we did record something on that and, and people can go check that out. Um, I suppose here's the feeling that I have about that. And I think a lot of people will resonate with this just because of that language of the conf uh, confession. Perhaps it's so molded into our consciousness, but obviously God is, you know, ontologically infinitely greater than anything created, right? Uh, he is the creator, yes. we're the creation. So you don't want to in any way give the impression that that's not true because uh, it just is. Um, no one denies that. The question really becomes, as to, you know, when exactly did the ontological condescension take place? Was it in creation? Um, did God, in other words, uh, was God compelled? Was God, you know, did anything oblige him to create anything to begin with? No. Well, I think everyone would agree that that's not the case. I mean, God freely created and did so. Well, again, you know, let's leave the word grace out of it, but did it, you know, in some, in, in, a, in a way that, that he, that was a blessing to everyone and he didn't have to do it. Um, uh, but the question then becomes, is that still okay to talk about in that covenantal language, in, in that Westminster language at least? Essentially, if we change the Westminster Confession, let's say we had the authority to do that right now, right? Uh, <laughs> we will call this the, uh, the, the Fort Association, right? The, uh, okay. the Federation of Two Kingdom Reformed something, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? By the authority of the Fort. We come along and we want to change the Westminster. Our language wants to be, uh, we're happy with uh, uh, God by way of infinite condescension. Well, I can't remember what the language is exactly. Not doing a good job to start off with here. But, um, uh, you know, entered into a creation or uh, let's say created. Would we be happy right. with that language? And then just moved like it's a completely separate thing onto the covenant. Um, I'm very happy with the way you just framed that. Okay. I think as soon as we start talking about condescending, yeah. we've got this idea of higher and lower, and um, you know we're just inherently lower, and God has to. Uh, now, yes, in terms of being, we are right, but, but it's not really on a scale in that sense. It's no. it's a uh, completely and it ends up 
it ends up translating into uh, the realm of ethics and morality. And mm. well, we're lower that way too. Mm. And um, yeah, it just doesn't so work. I, I'm just happy saying God's uh, free. God freely created. God freely created. Now there is. There's got to be some way. Because, you know, he didn't have to create and it was, we're really glad, glad that he did. And obviously that yep. was his goodness toward his creatures. I mean, there's got to be a way to kind of communicate that as well. You know, um, I think because one of the, the one of the fears that someone might have who was completely sold on anything Kleinian otherwise, you know, I, I would just feel like that that creator creature distinction, the vastness of the difference between the two that I think is really revered and precious to yes. perform theology in general. Um it, you know, it needs to be brought out somewhere. Would you just argue that that needs to be brought in, in another section of theology to keep it safe? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so go to, go to your section on God <laughs> and bring it out there. Right. Yeah. I mean, right. I, I can see the, 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 because especially what Lee was saying, um, you know, that language is undeniably sort of skating right there on the very edge of wanting to dive into a, a debate that really isn't ours anymore. Um, right. concerning condign and congruent merit. So that, that's good. All right. So then the next question, I know I need more clarity on this anyway. With Klein, it was very much a, um, a covenant of works from the father or of the father to the son or with the son or whatever, you know, the eternal covenant. Mm-hmm. And then you have another covenant of works, you know, with, uh, with Adam himself. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, Adam failed and, and, and uh, Christ uh, achieves the other covenant of works and uh, gives us grace. Now, the thing about that is, uh, you know, I think about Murray's argument, for example, where he's, you know, and and this is something that uh, Gian brought out in his book quite clearly. He was like, Murray did hold on to that law, grace, antithesis in terms of justification. He yes. did so inconsistently by, by you know, in our perspective, by, um, by lessening the works element of, of the covenant of grace. Um, but you know, our big comeback on that is, is that if you, if you lessen grace or you lessen the idea of merit in the, in the garden, you really are compromising on that antithesis in redemption, right? You just can't have, you need merit in the garden in order to have merit for Christ. What happens to the one Adam needs to happen to the other. Now, now the thing about that is I can almost, he doesn't make this push, push back any way I've seen, but I can almost understand if someone wanted to come back at that saying, but it isn't inconsistent to hold on to uh, Christ meriting um, what he did for us and Adam not truly meriting because they're not exactly the same covenants. Um, what would you say to that? You know, do, do you see what I'm saying there? I see what you're saying. And yet I still think that that point um, removes the foundation for what Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians yeah. 15 and Romans yeah. 5. As soon as you take that away, there's no basis for comparing and contrasting. And do you think that that would be, I mean, I was thinking about it this morning. Do you think that would be because of, I mean, I would say my answer to that would be right now, I don't know if there's a better answer than this, but basically because of the incarnation, essentially. I mean, because Christ, no matter what covenant, if it was the same covenant or not, the whole thing needed to be Christ as man. Yes. You know, meriting what we failed to merit. So if you've got the incarnation in play, you've always got the problem of whether man can merit or not. 
And the the issue is, you know, no, no matter what separate category you want to put Christ in, you're not allowed to say he earned it by his divine attributes or, or he's, you know, it's got to be by his humanity. And so you're essentially back to the garden in that sense. So you've got to, you've got to cover that problem in the garden. That's an excellent point. And I think in this article, um, redefining merit yeah it's a it's a slightly different context but uh lee is critiquing the medieval guys saying that um i I forget which school it was now but that christ could have come as a donkey or a cucumber i can't remember (laughs) yeah you know that was the alchemist guy yeah yeah if man can't merit then there's no reason why he couldn't have come as a donkey in order to save us yes yes great so and that's all about keeping it to that covenantal context that was laid for us ultimately in 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 the garden i mean that's you know you don't have the right to move away from that basically because that's the paradigm set up in the beginning and everything needs to be understood in that light yeah that's good now one more thing um i don't want to keep this discussion short i know you got to get somewhere but um the um the concept of because in my wheelhouse right now is just uh thinking about the 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 kingdom two kingdom neo-calvinist thing and so one of their big things, it's not directly related to justification, although it kind of is. I'm realizing more and more, like, my goodness, the more the more you play around with uh, the two kingdom thing, I mean, you're basically um, really right there, very, very, very close to, to justification. But, uh, you know, their big thing with uh, uh, the reason we have the Adamic mandate or the, the, the cultural mandate still in play is because whatever sin did, Christ basically came to undo that and then basically made us a new Adam. You know, and now we have this new Adamic uh, responsibility to do what Adam was supposed to do. So I was just thinking, if we're if we're gonna, I mean, this if this is true on this point, coming back to Lee's article, and we're defining uh, the covenant of works and merit by creation, or your book and uh, your argument there that it has to be by creation that the covenant is made, uh, not something superimposed upon creation, that has astounding implications for. The, the, the cultural mandate, which we kind of know already. Yeah. But I think the backwards point of that is that if you start digging into, like, hey, we need to do a cultural mandate, and that cultural mandate was, in fact, part of the covenant of works, which Christ did for us, I mean, mm. we're into justification issues at that point. So that's yeah. where the two overlay quite quite um, quite uh, explicitly, in my mind, at this point. Oh, that's, that's spot on. Yeah. I hadn't... Uh thought about that but i think you're absolutely right so really a lot of the argument there comes down to how the covenant was made was it was it intrinsic to creation itself or was it uh, overlaid upon what do you think the best arguments are i mean i know you just trying again i'm trying to avoid going back to your book but i keep doing it uh, <laughs> just offhand i mean can you think of the the best arguments that i, I suppose have just stayed with you for why it is that um the covenant needs to be understood as, as the creative act itself rather than something superimposed. Um, you know what I mean? What, what holds you there? Because it seems like a lot rests on that point. Uh, gosh, I'm so unprepared to give a best reason right off the top. Yeah, of my head. No, fair enough. Uh, um, I mean, Klein gives exegetical arguments like um, that even the divine fiats let there be, and there was mm. were oaths that mm. were, uh, impossible not to, yeah, uh, fulfill, right. Um, and so in the in that we see covenant because oath is the essence of covenant. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's good. So in the I, actual, I think that's the yeah. best, 
Sorry, go for yeah, it. Yeah, I think that's the best exegetical argument. I mean, I have other... Um, and that would be Hebrews, right? That would be um, or the, his, his oath is his word, and somehow that was related. I can't remember exactly how that worked, but I need to go check it again. Right. Uh, either chapter four or chapter six. I can't remember. Yeah, totally. Okay, head. cool. That's good. Uh, what about the, the whole um, the image itself thing? I mean, does he deal with that in Images of the Spirit? The image itself? So, you know, with the covenant of works oh. and the image... I mean, it just sort of dawned on me the other day. I mean, you know how you know how this stuff works, right? It's just it comes in waves, right. <laughs> and so <laughs> and so a new wave, a new wave of illumination settled upon me. Uh, that sounded gnostic. Um, and <laughs> and uh, basically, the the whole thing is just. I mean, you've got you've got imaging going on the whole way through. The only reason we really know that there is a covenant of works the way we know it is because. Man is image is is being asked to image God in his work week, yeah. and um, and so that obviously carries through with the actual um, the the image of God itself uh, placed upon man, and and you know you have a very explicit sort of sense in which all of this is true, and then you know there's a lot of exegesis that you can draw from that. Is that somewhere you would go to? to Absolutely, talk, yeah. I think I do. I think I do go there in the Tale of Two Adams, and I think it's Kingdom Prologue where he really tucks into that um, one. Drives that point home, yeah. Yeah. And so if that's true, just to be clear as well, I mean, we're actually saying it's less the act of creation and more the act of creation of man that would be the the the, the, the covenant? Or do you think it's well, all... Well, for that, for that particular point, it's the... I mean, we're the only creatures that bear God's image. Right. Uh, Klein might argue that angels do also, but mm-hmm. we'll leave that alone <laughs> for right now. Even saying that being made in the image of God is uh is covenantal in and of itself puts covenant before some superimposition of it i mean it's it's yeah. before god would even come to his human creatures and say hey let's make a covenant together yeah um yeah. but you know todd and i just finished um i guess it was last friday um an episode on um his article space and time in the Genesis cosmogony. Oh, he's arguing oh, yeah. that the, the Holy spirit is imaging himself in the rest of creation. Um, yeah, that's so where you, it's crazy. You deep. That <clears throat> totally. Now it's not the same kind of imaging that we do as human creatures, but, no, but it's involved. It's related in, in, in Klein's mm-hmm. thinking. Cause we're like, Oh, these microcosms of that whole bigger thing. And <laughs> it just gets, it gets uh multidimensional, shall we say? And, um, but yeah, Sorry, go I, I think a, a more abstract theological principle um, weighs heavily for me, and that is that if you have a later superimposition of a covenant of works, you I don't see how you can avoid running into the Roman Catholic nature-grace dualism because you have the yeah. situation of nature and then um, you have God having to um, add something later on in order for man to be able to um uh have fellowship with god or to enjoy god yeah no absolutely that's a great point and actually it uh, takes us on to a whole new subject so what i'll do just being mindful of the fact that you uh do need to get a move on and we've got time limitations here um we'll carry that on at some other point but for now that's a wrap so hey see you next time thanks a million mm-hmm.